0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you. Welcome, if you're online this morning, to our services here at Fellowship Bible Church. We'd love to have you be here, but uh, present circumstances may uh, be holding you back. Let's turn our Bibles for the Scripture reading today to Isaiah, and it's going to be in chapter 48 this time, Isaiah and the 48th chapter. Reading through these sections of Scripture is that you put into context the little verses that you might know from, you know, something or you've heard before, a little snatch of the prophet, and here we'll be able to see maybe one or two of those as we go through. Isaiah 48, Hear this, O house of Jacob who are called by the name of Israel and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass, because I knew that you were obstinate, and your neck was an iron sinew, and your brow bronze. He's saying basically they're hard-headed, stiff-necked. Even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you. Lest you should say, my idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. You see, God made provision. He said in advance what he was going to do. Then when it came to pass, they couldn't say, well, my little carved idol did it. You have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this you have not heard them, lest you should say, of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear, surely you did not know, surely from long ago your ear was not opened, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. Boy, it is a glory for God to defer His anger, isn't it? It is a glory to show forgiveness, a glory to show patience, to show that self-control. Verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, and for my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon. And his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come near to me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. And then in another sudden shift, as the prophet often does, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Indeed. Well, let us uh, invite Selah to come and share with us the music that she's prepared. Thank you, Selah. It's a blessing to have your ministry. the matter at hand, I was asked uh, last week to speak on a subject that I had written about already two years ago that I didn't realize it was that long, but uh, the title of our message is The Book of Life, The Book of Life, and you see that in your notes there. And by the way, if you have other uh, matters that you'd like me to cover, uh, don't hesitate to do that. I have a recollection that somebody else talked to me last week. And I have to really dredge up in my mind what it was that you were asking about, some other books of the Bible, and uh, I've got to remember that, or maybe you will remind me at the door. But the book of life, the truth that we're looking at today is really not meant to focus on a book other than the Bible. I'd like you to focus, if you would, as we talk about the book of life, on the author of the book. The question that I received was this, uh, and I put it in the box there in the notes. I have a question about names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It was my understanding, the questioner asked, that our names are added to the Book of Life when we accept Jesus' atonement for our sin, natures. That is, we are saved by grace through faith. But some verses seem to indicate that all people are in the Book of Life until they reject that God-designated or God-designed provision. These texts include, and then they... questioner listed a number of texts, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, uh, Isaiah, and Revelation. And so I begin to answer the question, uh, there are really two books in the Bible that are named similarly or that might cause confusion, and we'll look at those in the two major sections of the notes, but I first want to clarify the question. Uh, The first part of the question, or part of the question that speaks of atonement for our sin natures. That I think I understand what the person means by that, but maybe they need to tune up the specificity of it just a little bit more. We ought to know that the atoning crosswork of Christ handles more than our sin natures. We have several problems with regard to sin. One is that we've been imputed the sin of Adam, his sin is imputed to the whole race of humanity. Secondly, we're born. In sin, we have a sin nature to the point of the question. And thirdly, we have committed acts of sin, either actively or by omission. So we have those three problems. And the atonement of Christ handles all three of those not just our sin nature, but our sins, our sin natures, and the fact that our sins, that, that Adam's sin were, was imputed to us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for example. It talks about our sin being imputed to him who knew no sin, that the righteousness of God that he worked might be imputed to us. And we know that the Scripture tells us that our sin natures in Romans 6 are broken. Their ability to dominate us, the, uh, you know, the, the inherent kind of ability, the power that the sin nature has is broken. Maybe this is new to some of you. Uh, the sin nature is not, if you're a Christian, is not your master. Now, if you are a, uh, an unbelieving person, then the scripture says you are a slave of sin. He who commits sin is a slave of sin. Uh, John sa- or Jesus says in John chapter 8, I think it's verse 34, and he tells us that we are able to be freed from that and live free indeed to live a truly abundant and free life Apart from sin. And then, of course, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, all three of those areas of, of, of the problem with sin are, are dealt with in the atoning work of Christ. That's what God has provided in the gospel. And secondly, about this question, let me clarify that the part that talks about accepting that. Atonement for us. This can be mistaken for a simple mental or intellectual only assent to the truths of the gospel. You know, the, if somebody, some people really believe that, well, if you just acknowledge that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, then you're set. Without the additional information that, like the Gospel of Mark says, repent and believe the gospel or that saving faith is not merely in the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection because we know the demons believe that and tremble. It's that we we come into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, We accept the truth of God in Christ. God calls us in that to use our will as our affections, our emotions, if you will, and also our minds. As I was telling uh, Jansen earlier, our, our response, the required response to the gospel is the response of our whole being to the whole Christ. We, we, can't, just, we can't just respond to one little snippet of Christ's work, his, his death, as important as it is, and His burial and resurrection. If very important, don't get me wrong. But to believe just those facts is to ignore other things about Christ. We're believing into Christ, not just into a death and resurrection. We're believing into Him. So the, 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 the place where our faith lies is in Jesus, in Christ. He is the Lord, and He is the Savior, and He died, and He died for sinners, and died for sin, and rose again, and all of those things. All of that together, the gospel is the response of the whole man to the whole Christ, I should say, uh, the proper response to the gospel is our whole person responding to the whole of Christ. We are to repent and believe. We're commanded to turn from God to idols to serve Christ. So the word accept can be watered down so much that it it does not express the true nature of a saving response to Jesus Christ. Uh, we have a, an entirely different mindset about sin. This is the this is the response God requires from us if we are to evidence that we've become Christians, followers of Christ. This kind of response allows us to enjoy the blessings of eternal life, such as forgiveness of sin and victory over sin and death. So I want to just lay that groundwork as a part of a clarification before we begin the rest of the message, and I hope that is, that is helpful to you. Now, there are two books, as I mentioned, that are similarly named. The first I'll call the Book of the Living, or the Scroll of the Living. That is mentioned in Psalm 69, if you would turn there, please, Psalm 69. We're going to be turning around a little more than we do to different texts this morning. And so, be ready for that. Psalm 69, and verse 28. Actually, let me go back to verse, well, it's hard to go back, Go you know, all the way back. But he's talking about the enemies of God's people. Verse 26, they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and, and let them not come into your righteousness. Here it is, verse 28. Let them be bled out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. The psalmist asks God to, in modern terminology, delete the names of their enemies from the book of the living and, furthermore, not to list their names with the righteous. Now, this last phrase, not to list their names with the righteous, that will uh, come up probably again in your mind. This, This could refer to either the same thing that the psalmist just said, which is often done in the psalms. Let them be blotted out and let them not be written. Those are often in in the Psalms just parallel phrases saying the exact same thing. And I I tend to think that here. But perhaps you would say, well, that that sounds a little bit more ominous. Maybe it is that these ones are going to be blotted out of the book of the living and taken out of the other book as well, the book of life. But we'll get to that in a moment. So this phrase about blotting people out of the book of the living is simply a poetic way of saying that their life will be taken away. Their physical life will be taken away. The book of the living is the census or list of all people who are alive at a given time. Your names are all in the book of the living right now because you are alive. To wipe someone out of the book is a euphemistic way of saying that that person will be killed. In other words, they would be cut off, remember that phrase, cut off from the land of the living, just like it says in Isaiah 53, 8, where the Lord was cut off from the land of the living. We did not esteem him. He was stricken by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our stripes. We were the ones that had gone astray, and he was cut off for us. There is the the substitutionary atonement. That's part of the gospel, too. We believe not only that Christ died and that he rose again, but that he died in the place of me and you, of sinners, the substitutionary atonement. So that phrase is used, and I listed in the footnote there many other texts that speak about somebody being killed or cut off from the land of the living. By the way, um, in 69, back in Psalm 69, look at verse 25. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. An adaptation of this was used by the apostles in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20 when they quoted about Judas. Remember, let another take his place. Yeah, and what happened with Judas? He was blotted out from physical life, and he was certainly not on anybody's righteous list. Certainly not God's. So that is a context in which this chapter is used and understood by the early Christians, and so it will be with us. Either, in either view of this second phrase, by the way, verse 28, not be written with the righteous, Note that it only asks that they not be written, not that they be erased. Not that they be erased. And that's going to be an important distinction later on, I think, for us. Now, other biblical phrases express the same thing. Go to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 18. Uh, speaking as often God does in the Old Testament about idolatry. Verse um, 18, So that there there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations and that there may not be among you a root-bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. You know, this is, goes right back to what Brother James said this morning. These people had a choice in their conduct, but they could not choose to have the same outcome as the good guys. <laughs> That's what they're saying. I'm, I'm going to be just like the, you know, I'll be fine. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. Blot out his name from under heaven. I think that's a reference to the same exact idea, that he's going to be killed. The nation of Israel uh, experienced uh, a similar word from God on a corporate level in Isaiah chapter 48. In Isaiah 48, we're talking, uh, we're we're reading, rather, about the nation of Israel. Hear this, O house of Jacob, the scripture says. And then in verse 12, it says, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. Then verse 19, Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body, like the grains of sand. His name would not have been, what? Cut off, nor destroyed from before me. So our... Our scripture reading, even this morning, included this idea of being cut off, it means ceasing to exist from the earth. There's another example in Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 14, where it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You know, for some cultures, it's very important to have a memory left behind. In our culture, we have that to some extent, but I think not maybe as strongly as other cultures. But can you imagine being blotted out so there's no remembrance of you? Yeah, and, and and the outsiders, you know, outside of Amalek were saying, not only is there no remembrance, but I'm glad there's no remembrance of those people, the way they were evil, similarly with the Assyrians, as our brother taught about this morning. So we're talking about the book of the living. With this background, then, we can better understand what Exodus 32 talks about. I'd like you to go there because this comes up fairly regularly in this whole discussion of the book of life, book of the living, Exodus 32, 32. In Exodus 32, if you remember your Bible narrative, you remember that the people of Israel had done a very wicked thing. They had begun to worship. They've turned aside from the way that God commanded them and began to worship a golden calf. In Exodus 32, 32 Moses says, yet now, if you will forgive their sin, what he's saying is, please forgive them. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. I think Moses is wishing here to die physically perhaps in place of the Israelites who have sinned by worshiping the golden calf, idol, Uh, or perhaps he wishes to die because the burden has become so great upon him. Lord, how can I manage the burden of this stiff-necked, hard-headed generation? You remember that? Moses had that from time to time. Just kill me now. Let's get it over with. This is too much. It's so difficult but whether he was saying, you know, kill me in their place or just get rid of me because of this evil and awful thing that they have done, if the Lord will not forgive Israel, Moses preferred death to life. That's what he's saying. The Lord replies to Moses' request, no, it is the one who has sinned that will die. Ezekiel eighteen four. Eight uh, In 1820, I think I've, yeah, I've quoted those in the notes. This principle is crucial for us to understand today. Today. People talk about punishing the current generation for sins of past generations. You can't do that. As needful as some kind of remuneration might be or might seem in your mind for evils done in the past, You cannot, if you're a righteous people, you cannot punish the sons for the sins of the fathers, nor the fathers for the sins of the sons. Are you with me? Yes. Very important idea. True righteousness and justice means that the soul who did the sinning, he will die, not somebody else in his place, not his children. Not all of that. It's the person himself. And so God says to Moses, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, First of all, God has ordained Moses to be the leader of Israel, to lead them out of Egypt and get them to the promised land. And second of all, you can't substitute your death for theirs. If they've sinned, there's going to be consequences to them. And there were thousands died in the judgment that came after this. But you cannot substitute for them. Now, pause for a second. The book of the living, therefore, is the register of all who are presently alive. Names are erased as each one dies and moves out of the land of the living. That means they move into the land of the dead. How do names get in there? People are born okay, or conceived, if you'd rather have it at that point. This act of erasure from the book of the living is, in a sense, always a judgment, isn't it? Why do we die? of sin. So it's always a judgment in a way. But I think for God's people, we can soften that just a little bit, that God tenderly removes the name of his child from his book of the living when they pass. God is not disposed toward Christians to pour out judgment upon them because that judgment has already been poured out upon Christ. So when God erases the name of someone from the book of life, it's not like he takes his pencil and just "Mm," erases it with anger. He erases the name gently and eases that person out into eternity. Now, the alert reader uh, of my notes or listener to my sermon might say, Moses. Now, I seem to remember another case like that in the Bible. Romans chapter 9, in fact. Romans 9, Paul says, I wish that I myself could be accursed for my brethren, the Israelites, instead of them being accursed, that they might come to faith in Messiah. Now, to me, this sounds a little bit more than even what Moses was saying. This sounds like... Paul is saying, when he says accursed from Christ, this is more than just let me die physically. This is, I would be accursed forever from Christ so that they could come to life. What a sacrificial idea that is. How many of us would say that? Note, accursed from Christ. Spiritual separation from Christ as a substitute for others is the theoretical idea here. That is, if it were possible, Paul would trade his salvation for their salvation. Paul would have his name, in fact, erased from the book of the saved so that they could get their names put into the book of the saved. Now, that's not how it works, but just hypothetically we're saying. And to that, then we now turn, that is the second book, the book of life or what is called by its full name, the Lamb's Book of Life. It is the book or census or list of all people who are or will be saved. Okay, notice that the difference. The Book of the Living is the register of those currently physically alive. The Book of Life is the register of those who are saved or will be saved. And I think I'm safe in saying that statement holds true no matter what time you put yourself in to say that statement. Let's say you say it from before the foundation of the world. The book of life is the register of all those who are or will be saved. Now, at that time, nobody was yet saved, but everybody who will be is listed in the book. Or in eternity future, the book of life is the register of, if you're standing in that eternity future time slot, the book of life is the book of all those who are or will be saved. Well, by then, nobody is left to be saved because everybody that's going to be saved is saved. So it's all those who are saved. Okay, That's what I understand the book of life to be, mainly revealed in the New Testament. However, there is one reference. Go to Daniel chapter 12 in the Old Testament. There's probably more than one, but at least this one really sticks out to me. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 1. It says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. It's a little bit of an enigmatic reference to this book, isn't it? Just kind of in there. How would they know what that is? How would they know? Well, we're learning. The Lamb's Book of Life. Now, let me uh, emphasize a couple of things here. The Lamb's Book of Life is a registry of all the redeemed of all ages. Church age, tribulation, kingdom, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever you want to say. However you want to slice up the time periods of world history, it's the saved of all of those ages. So I want just lay that out there I don't make a distinction between the different kinds of saints in this book Um, maybe we could say you know there's the chapter in the book of life of the church and the chapter of Old Testament Israel saved people and the chapter of tribulation saints and and all of that that that's fine secondly I'm not a big fan of people who not of people of the idea let me leave it at the idea level who, who think that there's an actual book, you know, paper, ink, binding on the edges, or, or a scroll sitting up in heaven somewhere with all these names written on it. I can't be dogmatic that there is or is not such a book or scroll in heaven, but in, in effect we can think of it this way. The point is that God knows the list of names intuitively and instantaneously. If the book doesn't exist in a physical form, it exists in God's head, so to speak, okay, in his mind. And the reason for this is that not only is God omniscient, but more importantly, he has graciously chosen to bestow eternal life on each person listed in that book. In other words, this, and this is, I'm getting into a, a deep area of theology that I know is a lot of people disagree with, but I believe the Scripture is clear that God knows because He decreed that that would be the case. He knows because He decided the names that would be there in that book. Let's look at a couple of examples of it just as we chew on that thought. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 3. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Or Revelation, where many of the references are, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There are a number of other texts. We're going to look at several of those as we go. Now, this Revelation 5 text gives us a little bit of a difficulty because it says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And so people get worried that, Maybe their name would be blotted out of the, you know they have this picture of the scroll and the handwriting of the name, you know your name is in there and then well God changes his mind or you, you've changed your mind or something, and so God takes that ink and he just blots out the name and it's it's gone. It's gone, they think. I take this verse, not to say, listen carefully, not to say that names will be erased or can be erased. Why do I say that? Well, let's read the verse. It says, I will not blot out his name. It's a promise of security, my friends. It's a promise of security, not a, not a statement of judgment or of, that's meant to induce doubt. Most people read this and believe there is a possibility of erasure, particularly if you fail to overcome, right? He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Just let me ask you this, how does, how does one overcome? 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4, I think it is, says we overcome by faith. And overcomers, that is those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, are promised never to lose their salvation so how is it that somebody can have their name erased from this book of life? They will never be erased from the book. In fact, one t- translation I noted said that uh, it says in verse five to them, I, I, "I will never blot out his name from the book of life." Sounds to me like John ten twenty-seven to twenty-four, doesn't it? Yeah. The, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can take them out of my book. In other words. They cannot lose their status as saved, a saved person. Let me say it this way. You, if you're truly born again, cannot lose your status as a saved person. That's just not how it works. The nature of eternal life is... That's right, brother. It's eternal. That's why it's called by that adjective. Eternal. It's not temporary. It's not come and go. It's not hope, you know, hope to and maybe and so on and so forth. It's, it's a real eternal life far from being a statement of doubt this statement i will not blot them out of the book of life is a statement of great assurance for us as believers so don't read it backwards read it forwards let's go to revelation 13 verse 8 the beast by the way uh, people have been talking about you know this this uh, vaccine or this vaccine passport and and saying it's like the mark of the beast. And I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but you know, I, I, if you carefully look at these passages that talk about the mark of the beast, it, it's something that appears where? On the hand or the forehead, specifically in, in Revelation. So it's an external mark. It's not a poke from a vaccine. Um, it has to do with buying and selling. We haven't had any talk about prohibiting people from buying and selling mainly in our country today. And also, um, it has to do with worship. Look at verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. My point is not to get you all off in thinking about the mark of the beast now. Okay, Leave that for later, just... Put that in, this, in the you know, side compartment of your brain and come back to this book of life issue that we're talking about and focusing on. Now, the issue here is, when are these names put in the book of life or when is the book of life or when is the lamb slain? And there's this phrase, from the foundation of the world. So it seems like from the word order here that it was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You with me? But then that leaves the question, well, when were the names put into the book of life? How did they get there? When did they get there? Well, we're we're helped by another verse, Revelation 17, verse 8, which uses similar wording, but it's interesting the little difference that you find here. This verse makes the answer to my question clear about the when. When? Verse uh, verse 8 of chapter 17, the beast again here. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Doesn't it say that? When they see the beast and so on. So Revelation 17.8 makes it clear that the from the foundation of the world phrase is associated with the names not written in the book of life. Let me say that again. They're not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. They're not written there. They're not written there. The point is this. There are names that never have been in the book of life. In other words, there are people whose names have never appeared there. By implication, number one, those names cannot be erased because they never were there to begin with. And secondly, there must be names in the book which have been present since the foundation of the world. Okay, All this is, is going to help us understand a couple different views about how the book of life looks or where it came from. Now, let's go to another, Revelation 22, 19. Now, I'll just tell you that... What I'm going to say here is going to make our King James-only friends very upset. But I'm not going to worry about that because I'm not a King James-only advocate. In fact, I'll just say it. I think there are errors in the King James Version. There are mistranslations. There are things that today, today, I'm talking about very, you know, basically technical things. You read the King James, it's a fine Bible, okay? Don't hear me to be saying that it's something to throw into the trash can, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if you get into some of the nitty-gritty details, you will find, eh. You know, like when when Jesus says uh, that the Pharisees uh, swallow a camel and strain at a gnat, that's not what it means, the verb means to filter out or strain out not strain at so i think that's an error in that translation now maybe they used english differently than we use it now and so it's anachronistic that way but don't don't you know you, you folks know what i mean okay we've been together long enough you understand what i'm saying but in this passage there's a similar thing it says in revelation 22:19 if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy God shall take away his part from the book of life. Now, do your Bibles have a little note there? Or does your Bible translate it as tree of life? Tree of life is correct. The critical text and the majority of known Greek manuscripts use the word xulu, tree, not biblu, Book, okay? So it's clearly tree of life. The few manuscripts that the King James Version was based on had an error at this point. So this verse, which does come up in the situation about the book of life, doesn't actually refer to the book of life at all. Now, what does it mean, though? It's still troubling. Can somebody be taken out from enjoying the the tree of life? Book of life? No, tree of life. Um, to take away simply is a statement of judgment. If you mess with God's book, God will see to it that you have no share in the tree of life. That is, the possibility of heaven is out of the question for people who have the certain kind of character that allows them to say, you know, snip, 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 Jefferson, or... Uh, I'm going to modify this, or I'm not going to really teach the gospel of God's grace. I'm going to teach a liberation gospel from oppression. People that do that kind of thing to God's word are giving evidence that the, the Holy Spirit does not dwell inside of them. Okay, And so God is saying, just like Adam and Eve were driven out from the tree of life, you will be kept away from that tree of life for all eternity if you're that kind of person that treats God's word that way, okay, that treats God's Word that way. We treat God's Word with a high reverence because it comes from God. I know somebody's going to say, well, you know, what about this King James thing and you've you know, derided the Word of God? That's not what we've done, my friends. Our job is to take the evidence that we've been given, all the manuscripts, and to figure out exactly what, The original text said, and God gave us plenty of evidence to do that. But in any case, back to this matter. Similarly, in verse 18, if you go back to 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. These verses don't talk about somebody who got saved and then, oops, all of a sudden they they made a mistake and God adds plagues to them or he takes away their part out of the book of life. He's talking about people whose character is such that they don't, they don't fear to enter into holy ground and say, I'm going to add or take away from God's word. That kind of person is not a person with reverence for God. That's a, it's a, a person that has life in Christ. That's not that kind of person. They will have those plagues added or the, uh, the tree of life taken away from them. Now, let's think about these, this book of life again. One view on the book of life as to how it's written is what I will call the erasure view or the start full view. What do I mean by that? This suggests, This idea suggests that the names of all humans who ever existed or will exist are written in the book of life at the beginning of time. In this view, names are erased as people die without exercising faith in Christ. One problem with this view is that there is no text in Scripture that clearly says names will be erased. There's one that says they will not be erased. And furthermore, Revelation 17.8 told us plainly that there are some names not written in there from infinity past, we'll say, eternity past, okay, which meant by implication that there were some names that were written in there from that time. But the start full view is not if satisfactory view. Then there's the start empty view. Okay, the book of life started out as a blank book. And and that kind of makes more sense, doesn't it? Because uh, everybody's a sinner. Everybody deserves condemnation. No one starts out with eternal life. The wicked are estranged from the womb speaking lies. I was conceived in sin, David said in Psalm uh, 51. And the other verse was Psalm 58, verse 3 that I quoted. All sinners deserving of eternal punishment. Our, de- our names do not deserve to be in the book at all. So I could see somebody says, well, no, it's not the start full view, it's the start empty view. And then my name would be added when I come to faith in Christ. I think that's a common understanding, but that doesn't work either because there are names that are and names that aren't written from the foundation of the world. Okay. So neither the start empty view nor the start full view work. They are not workable. Now, let me have us think about this related important issue. Who has the power to put a name in the book or not in the book? Let me, let me just give you a little bit of inside, uh, insider uh, trading here, okay? <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm using this as a way this whole idea as a way to elevate your view of God so that you have a high view of God in everything, including in the matter of personal salvation. God doesn't step off the throne and say, here, you sit here and make your choice and you do everything you're going to do. And I'll just sit by and watch with interest to see what your decision is going to be. That's not in accordance with God's sovereignty. So, Back off of the insider trading now. Okay, I'm I'm, you know now I'm playing the market properly here. Okay, so uh, who has the power to put names in or out of the book of life? If your answer is people, then you would likely have a start full or start empty view. You're reflecting the idea that salvation only involves a person's not only involves a person's participation, but ultimately is based on that person's choice. Okay. In other words, this kind of puts God as like a secretary that's watching to see, okay, this person starts out empty, this person oh, just received Christ, put his name in, wonderful. Or, uh, oh, that person just died, i got to cross him out because he didn't believe in Christ. That's not quite how it is, my friends. So salvation or being in the, the Lamb's book of life is not ultimately based on that person's choice. God is not in a reactive position. He is in charge. Now, if your answer is God puts people there or not, then you have an entirely different perspective. Then you're saying salvation is ultimately based on God's decision, God's choice, God's design. And this better fits the biblical revelation. God is not only the author of life, he's the author of the book of life. Only he writes names in that book. Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus was questioning him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know, he knows the innermost feelings of Peter's heart at that time. As grieved as Peter was that he had rejected or denied Jesus those three times, the, 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 the night of his crucif- before his crucifixion and all of that, Jesus knew all of that. Jesus knows everything. The Father knows everything and in fact has decreed everything to come to pass as it does. And that's how he knows it in fact. He knows because he decided that's how it's going to be. He never has to make edits to his book. To God there are no surprises, no additions, no deletions to the book of life. Consequently, my understanding is that names are never added or subtracted from the book of life. It's neither start full nor start empty. The names were set down there from before the foundation of the world, and that list is fixed and inviolable for all eternity. It is the list of those known as the elect. The elect. Some of them have already come to faith, and some shall come to faith before they die. The impossibility of erasure reflects the doctrine of what? Eternal security. Impossibility of erasure, eternal security. The impossibility of addition, however, consequently means that people who are not elect will not be saved. Now, this may sound harsh, but listen out. Who are the elect? You know? I don't know. Only God knows. Now, I'll give a couple caveats to that. I believe I'm elect because I'm born again. And I know that, and I know God has transformed my life. And we can know that of other people with relative certainty. If someone comes to faith, we can see that they have been transformed and thus evidence that God has saved them. We do know that there are those whom God has graciously chosen to bless with salvation. How do I know that? Well, the only way I know, the Bible tells me so. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We can know about ourselves if we're born again, save for self-deception. There, we do recognize that possibility. But there are other passages as well. God chose us very clearly stated in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Titus 1.1, 1, 1, and others I've listed in the notes. I wish we could visit them. Maybe tonight if I have some time, we'll do that. But as for the billions of people on the planet, we cannot know the elect ones and those who are not in advance. Consequently, we preach the gospel how? Widely, to every creature, because we simply cannot know. God knows the elect before the fact. We cannot know until after the fact. But God's knowledge does not change our responsibility, that is, The fact that there's a list somewhere doesn't change our responsibility one little bit, one little bit. Since we do not know and cannot know in advance who is elect among unbelieving people, the doctrine of election makes little practical difference on the mechanics of how we accomplish the Great Commission. Are you with me on that? That's hidden knowledge. Okay makes little difference in the mechanics of how we do the Great Commission. As far as the unsaved are concerned, in our view, it's as if there is no such thing as the book of life. We have to minister to all as if they're all possibly in there. As far as we know, they may be. On the other hand, see, I worded that carefully. I said the fact that we don't know, or the fact that there does exist such a book, makes no real practical difference as to how we minister the gospel, but it does make a difference. Otherwise, God wouldn't have revealed to us this. What what kind of difference does it make? First of all, because we know from this teaching that God has people that he is going to save. You might think, in Ann Arbor? I mean, at the university? Yeah. Out of the rabbi school where Paul came from? Yes. Out of Corinth, the Las Vegas of the time, God said in Acts chapter 18, verse 10, I have many people in this city. You keep ministering the gospel. He, God is not just talking about people that were saved already, He's saying there are more that are going to be born again, more that are going to be rescued from the clutches of hell. This propels us forward. See, if you thought, man, we're the only ones and there are no more coming, you'd just fold up and and die. You'd lose from discouragement. But this truth that God has a people, some have not yet come to him, drives us forward to evangelize with confidence, knowing we will reach someone. Here in Ann Arbor, yes. Across the globe, our missions program, with the Bibles that we're publishing, all of that stuff. As well, for the saved, this is another consequence of this truth, the book of life and the associated doctrine of eternal security is a powerful encouragement. God's saved ones will never be lost. Their names are written in stone, if I could say it that way they will never be erased in this way being elect has an there being a list of elect has an impact on our psyche because we can marvel that god would choose us unworthy as we are to be his children we worship him because he is worthy because he has done things that we do not deserve it also moves us, this idea of the book of life, to service because we don't need to be stuck in the no man's land of doubt all the time. Am I in or am I out? You know, and if you pluck the petals off the flower and it's the odd number or whatever, then you're like, whoa, I'm gone, I'm finished. No, Stop. Stop. We, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible promises you you are born again. You don't have to sit there and say, oh, I don't know. and all that. What that does is that makes you ineffective for God. You've chosen to follow Christ. Now follow Him and begin to do something for Him. Serve Him. Instead of being stuck in this no man's land. Now, if there's somebody who genuinely, genuinely wants to be saved and is afraid that they're not listed in the book of life, quickly disabuse them of that notion by telling them that God commands everyone to repent and believe the gospel. If you do that, you're saved, and thus you prove that you are listed in the book. From the human perspective, since we do not and cannot know who is in and who is out in advance, we must not worry about the list of people in the book instead focus on obeying god for those of us that want to share the life-giving message with others our job is not to figure out if somebody's elect our job is to proclaim the gospel never are we told to wait or let some, have someone wait and let them figure out if they're in the book or not you know like you'll know if you're elect or not No, they know by learning and properly responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for any among us who want to receive the life-giving message of Jesus, we do not look to the book of life. We look to the Lamb of God who is the author of the book. We repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died to cleanse us from our sin and to give us new life. Don't worry about those things that you cannot know. We know there is the book. That's fine. We've we've combed Scripture to see how names are in the book. But don't sit there and say, oh, I don't know if I'm in or I'm out or all that sort of stuff. Repent and believe the gospel. Look to the Lamb and you shall be saved. All the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would take these words and encourage your children and challenge those that are not yet part of the family of God that they must do business with this, that if they don't become saved, if they don't turn to Jesus Christ, they will be eternally lost, condemned in sin forever and ever and ever. Nobody wants that, Lord. Well... Nobody will want it once they find out what it's like. Dear God in heaven, I pray, spare life. Bring salvation to this town, to this county, to this state, to this nation, to this world. Lord, I pray that there will be a, there will be a revival. Many people will turn away from their sins and to the Lord their God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.